This is Shaka Art Speak. Lindsay's letting the art speak for her right now. Yeah. That's right. And because you can't see <laughs> Let's it. Let's all not, look at it. Let's yeah. just observe. <laughs> Let's observe silence. For yeah. We an could hour. do it. I mean, we could do that. That would be a great episode. Just yeah, being quiet. Just for being hour. quiet. Speaking of Duchamp. Yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> just have a silent podcast. Yeah. I'll be on that one for sure. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Actually, what we'll do is we'll have the most guests we've ever had. We'll just <laughs> I got line up. Just like today. hear Probably. everyone breathing. Like, <sighs> yeah. Everybody you know? <laughs> sends it in. We, uh, we got Pablo here. Yeah. He's hanging out with us. A couple people sniffling. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be me. Wait, I got to get in my tissue ready. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> that's you. Now you're making me have to blow my nose. <laughs> All right. What do we, how do we? I'll start drooling. Do you want to, you want to kick us one off, Gareth? Yeah, I guess we can. You sure. can, I, I'm, I'm feeling like you can do it today. You got it. You got it in your, you got it in your bones today. Yeah. I started a. I started a new mustache treatment this morning because it's Whoa. way too coarse. Yeah. So I've been trying to soften it. So I feel like yeah. it's a new day. We need a new mug. I know. Well, I don't know. We'll see how long this actually okay. stays. All right. I just kind of want to just get it big and then boom. Done. Yeah, then done. Okay. Have some have people see me with a gigantic mustache and then show up the next day with nothing. A like, gigantic mustache and some about? extra long ear hair. <laughs> When they're like, I what just, happened? You're like, what do you mean? Yeah. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I What's didn't have a mustache. Guy? You know who you're going to end what up looking mustache? like? Who's that? Don't, don't look this up because you'll end up you'll end up shaving your mustache off quickly. Who's you're going to end up looking like Rip Taylor. Oh, dude. <laughs> dude. I don't who, have to look up Rip Taylor. Who was, right. was it Blues Traveler that had the long? I think Blues he did. I feel, yes. I feel yes. like you guys should do that. Why you want to give me the run around? Blue. Do you have to wear the, the washboard on the front so I could dude, do it? I think it would be so cool. <laughs> no, that's uh that dude was crazy because I think he got like gastric like banding surgery or something and lost I think like over a hundred pounds. Really? Because he was a really large guy. He was very and robust. He, he very, was robust. He was he was a robust person. Now he is like not. He is he is thin. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who is that? That's I know. Rip Taylor. Is he's gonna, an actor, right? Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, that kind of looks like. Uh, don't ever tell her I said this. Does he have a wig on? Like a toupee? I think he may. It, like he a, it probably uh, is. Because I feel like those the the mustache hair and the the hair is just too little far apart. Incongruent. But I think he I think he used to wear. Oh, here's a good one. That's the Rip Taylor I know and love. Yep. Oh, so what was he in? I've totally uh, seen him. A lot of sixties and seventies stuff, like comedies. He wasn't in that like Fantasy Island, was he? Oh gosh, I named my cat after Fantasy Island. No, uh, wait, your cat's tattoo. called. Oh, I was gonna say my cat's cat name was Tattoo. Fantasy Island. Was my cat was called Fantasy Island. <laughs> that would be called Van for short. <laughs> Come here, Fantasy Island. <laughs> Now you need another cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I could convince my wife, my gosh. She's like, no pets. My my cat passed years ago, but yeah, tattoo is the uh the play in I remember like, tattoo. Yeah. Yeah, tattoo is my I mean my I only dude. saw that show a couple of times, but it like made a lasting <laughs> Yeah. I, I, it'd be weird to go back on I mean, we watched that as a family when I was whenever it was out. I mean, yeah. I'm forty six, so whenever that was, like mid like late seventies. Oh yeah. Know. Yeah, fantasy island. Uh, Ricardo Montalban. Okay. okay. He was on The Monkees. <gasps> Who That's was right. he? he? Was he also on Bewitched? The ever? manager? Oh, I watched Bewitched. Yes. I Like all in rerun. I feel like Nickelodeon rerun, like, reran all of these in its like early inception. 
Man, I yeah, the other day I was talking about like the old school Nick at Night. Brady Bunch. Where like <sighs> at night they'd have like Bewitched and I Dream of Jeannie and Mr. Yeah. Ed and all this stuff. Because I, wa- I grew up on a lot of that and yep. I thought it was contemporary. I mean, talk about a weird cultural sort of like, I thought it was all contemporary and then I found out it wasn't. And then there was that show, You Can't Do That on Television, which perhaps, talk about how things inform each other, perhaps the green slime is really my inspiration <laughs> for nice. everything I do. Yeah, yeah the, uh, could, it could I mean, be. It could be. Um, like we talk about all these artists, like there's some highbrow reason and it's really just a lot of times it is. Time. Yeah. I think those are the more likely influences for me as an artist. It's not well, really. That's what you need on the walls. And then yeah. the lights come out and it looks like stuff's oozing. oozing out. Out I feel like this little is, ghostbustery um, ooze maybe. And maybe I should be your design consultant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're actually probably recording. Yeah, we are. Oh, Welcome yeah. to Shocker Wordspeak. So Shocker, up, we're, we were talking about Phyllis Diller because <laughs> nope. No, we weren't. Reich. We were talking about Rip Taylor because and if, life, you don't know who Rip, if you don't know who Rip Taylor is, you should just take a peruse. Um, he was on Wayne World, Wayne's World 2, actually. And Rip hung out with um, Phyllis Diller. That's how I, the Phyllis uh, Diller show. Like, where did that so come? that's where that came from. So that's where I was like, oh, it was Phyllis Diller. But Gareth has a, a Poirot slash rip taylor mustache right now man and i don't know if that's going to cause him to um cut it off or not i hope you put put a serious put a serious kink in our relationship i know man this is the first time we feel distance between each other i don't know i can get over this yeah so i mean the only other alternative is for is for you to go watch um you know wider or whatever um what's (laughs) yes (laughs) what's the what's the it's a great movie with val kilmer Uh uh-huh yeah that mustache is that wider is it called wider yeah yeah i think so or is it Tombstone? Tombstone. You're taking Tombstone. Tombstone. I'm thinking Tombstone. Yeah, yeah. This is we're not just, the pizza. We're just, we're just starting y'all off with brain debris all over the place. Yeah, this is. So whenever, yeah, whenever we, Lindsay, whenever we're um, completely off topic, it's we. I so for years as a teacher, I would just say random things, and I'd say this is satellite brain debris. Mm-hmm. It's orbiting my mind, and then it just <laughs> breaks into my the atmosphere of my consciousness, like uninvited. You know, like a like a piece of rock or a satellite debris that breaks back into the earth's atmosphere so now it's become like a real thing and we we both satellite brain debris together so then it becomes part of our podcast episodes so we have like little subsets with our own intro music and everything where we just talk about things that are so non sequitur that it's like i don't know why we're talking about this it's good but it's in there somewhere it's in there it's baked in phyllis diller phyllis diller in (laughs) your head somewhere phyllis diller feels good to say too (laughs) All right, well, let, um, but let's, let's get back to you comparing my mustache to Phyllis Diller. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Tombstone, yeah, it's full of great mustaches. Yeah, so I tried uh, to give you, a, I, <laughs> I've tried to offer a peace offering because there's more great mustaches there than there is with Phyllis Diller and um, whatever his name was, Gene well, Simmons. Also, it, you know, Tombstone has one of my um, like muses for my mustache, which is Sam Elliott. Yeah, Sam Elliott's everybody's muse. My <laughs> mom had the biggest crush on Sam Elliott. Like, I mean, bad. Like, she tried to get my dad to cut his hair like Sam Elliott in the um, movie Mask with Cher. Yeah, yeah. You ever see that movie? No, but I know. Oh, it'll make you cry, though. Yeah. And Gar, his name is Gar in that. And she's just like, I just need Gar. And I'm like, you're married, mom. She's like, I don't care. Sam Elliott, the mustache and the deep voice. He's got a a thing about him. I mean, I also. He's got a swag. We've got a special place in our hearts for the Big Lebowski. Sure. um, You know, he's a. I mean, to be honest with you, my love affair with Sam Elliott started with um, Roadhouse. 
Oh, dude, Roadhouse, yeah. I'm kind of joking, but uh, dude, here's okay. the thing. Patrick Swayze, and we'll get serious. Patrick Swayze's in sweatpants the whole movie. <laughs> He's in sweatpants with his shirt off doing karate at a farm yeah. with farm guys, and his hair never gets messed up. No. Well, that's the 80s. That's the 80s. That's the 80s. He's he's got like a glisten. He's glistening. <laughs> and then and then he's like hanging He's like out. shellacked. Yeah, he's shellacked. <laughs> he's yes. definitely been shellacked. And here's the weird thing. He's hanging out with his mentor, who is Sam Elliott, who looks like he's been run over by five elephants. Yeah. He's like all mangled and like so they get into roadhouse fights and he's all beat up and Swayze's just like just because people kept slipping off of him. That's right. He was so shellacked that the yeah. punches wouldn't even land. <laughs> yep. It's like when boxers Vaseline their face. That's exactly right. It's just like Shellac Swayze. Whoop. Yeah. What an era. We don't like can that be what this is called? Like I don't know how you title your podcast, but Shellac Patrick Swayze is definitely Shellac Patrick Swayze is going to be the I think that's it. We've gotten straight to the heart of it. Yep. Actually, this is a great segue. Uh, I mean to talk about the uh, the visceral visual experiences we have with 80s culture, I think is kind of a nice It's gonna be part of this discussion, I think, because it's Uh, part of the nexus of your work. Yeah, but the first thing we haven't even introduced our guest. Yeah. I mean, you've heard her speaking and hopefully you've seen the work that she's been producing that we've been putting up preparing for the show, but we've got Lindsay McCullough with us here, who is the next artist showing in Shock Art Space. The show's when cur- you're listening yeah, sure, to it, shows currently. currently up. Yeah, shows up and you need to come see it. Yeah, and um, if you missed First Friday, shame on you. Shame on you. If you're not but here. But we understand, so come on down. So we're recording right now, but this will be released in, in two weeks. Yeah, yeah. So understand that you need to show up and <laughs> knock on the door. <laughs> and shame on you for everyone who didn't show up. We're just going <laughs> to shame you today. And so since you're feeling ashamed, I just want to make a quick plug. Mm-hmm. It's the holiday season. We never, we never do this, Lindsay, so bear with us. It's the holiday season. So whoop-dee-doo and deedly-dum. Yep. And because <laughs> whoop-dee-doo and deedly-dum. <laughs> and don't forget to give us some support <laughs> on our Patreon account tonight. So yeah. um, you should, you should though. It's the end of the year. It's the year of giving. We're still here. We, we're like existing still. Yep. And um, I think Eddie Vedder has a song, Pearl Jam, where it's I'm Still Alive. Just, yeah, we're still alive. And um, your support is super huge in helping us. We're moving towards um, video. Mm -hmm. And that will, yeah, that will require support. And so we want to just ask you to consider doing a couple of things, subscribing, liking, reviewing, writing about our podcast. Mm -hmm. Go to our Patreon account and uh, give us a monthly support. Even if it's a dollar, it actually adds up. We we say that. are fantastic. Yeah, people don't believe us. But five bucks, ten bucks. A hundred bucks, two million dollars, a thousand, whatever you feel inclined to do this year <laughs> for the price of a cup of coffee mm-hmm. um, plus inflation, you can be supporting a, a nonprofit like ours. So that's anyhow, right. that's just let's get that out of the way. We don't do you know, we don't do it very often. But since it's Christmas holiday season, giving season, um, giving feels really good. It does. It feels great. Yep. And now back to our regular programming. I was about to say, because we love giving to y'all every yeah. week when we record this podcast. Yeah. You think Gareth wears velour sweatpants for uh himself yeah I don't, I don't wear it for no reason yeah the whole it's the whole jumpsuit is for you yeah so if yep. you want to see those you're gonna have to help us go visual i appreciate everything you've done today ryan thank you Gareth. <laughs> from rip taylor to blue jumpsuits yeah the visuals need to come in today i feel like because <laughs> yeah <laughs> quick somebody snap a pic for a change the velour <laughs> has to be experienced in person <laughs> Sorry. oh it's all good <laughs> 
Anybody else, right? Anybody else? <laughs> I feel like I've landed the plane. I feel like the plane has landed. <laughs> no, definitely. But um, yeah. So enough about Phyllis Diller. Um, <laughs> we've got Lindsay McCullough here. Yeah, and she does amazing better. work. Um, so yeah, welcome. Thank you for Thank coming. You. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever think that you'd be booking between Phyllis Diller and Rick Well, Taylor? I got to say I was nervous till we started talking about Shellac Patrick Swayze, and yeah. then I felt like yeah. I'm good. Yeah, you're, you <laughs> felt, you we're felt, in my wheelhouse. Yeah, we're in your wheelhouse. Like you're, We're in your mind palace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you know what I think about every day? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so welcome. So we want to talk about this, this uh, show, but also about you and uh, kind of your practice and like how did, how did, you, get, how did you get going? I, all I can think about is Phyllis Diller. I'm I know, sorry. So it's right. it's going to take a minute. This it's was... going to take a minute yeah. to shift gears. Um, do you mean how I got started with art? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, like we, we often, we found like really interesting themes or trends in people and there'll be like seminal uh, encounters with uh, um, people that were supportive or, mm. you know, it could be. And, and, or people who weren't. And yeah. I, yeah, or people that weren't. And that was a catalyst. And, you know, like, so like for me, it's like, yeah, I did, I did comic books and I did all of these cool. things, but I never really thought, I, th I didn't know what an artist was. So there's sort of like, I did things and I couldn't stop doing things. And then there was, I, I you know, I, I encountered like serious painting at some point. And there was a space between that. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of curious as to how you, I mean, you have a pretty interesting studio practice that I don't believe you probably got here overnight in, in making the choices you're making. So how did you kind of get into to, to making? Well, I so my mom is an artist. Mm. So I was always surrounded mm. by art. And um, my dad's a maker. I mean, he, he can like... I'm staying with them while I'm down here. And he made like, he got those like a uh, tomato wire planters and he made Christmas trees out of them to put in the front of the house. And I pulled up and I was like, that's so cool. But that's sort of the culture that I was raised in was just, you know, making things. And there was a lot of ingenuity and my, my parents weren't the type of people to like go buy everything new. It was always like, how can we reuse and repurpose? like repurpose and refresh something and mm. make it into what we want. Um, like my dad made furniture at one point. Um, they, they've both made jewelry before and then my mom with her art practice. So it's just kind of like how I was raised. Wow. I, I couldn't really imagine being a different way. I think you're the first person we've ever had on that actually has had that experience where yeah. both parents where one is an artist and, and, um, both parents are makers and yeah. that's like, it's just in the environment. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think I'm sure that it, it's influenced the way that I look at everything. Mm -hmm. yeah. Did you, did you find, so was there, so because it was in the environment where you, was it just like something that, in, that, um, <laughs> you were able to just do intuitively? Like, was your mom like teaching you or was it more like, yeah. So my <coughs> mom had, um, like art classes out of our house and mm -hmm. she did that to be flexible for me. So she'd be available during the day, take me to school. And then, you know, if anything came up, she was around. And then in the evening she would teach art classes out of our house and on Saturdays. So like if I'd have days where I was like, you know, looking for something to do, or I was kind of bored, I could just wander in if she had, like, if there was a space in the class, mm. like if someone wasn't there, I could just wander in and take her class. So I'd like that sit so in cool. on awesome. all different classes. And then it was kind of my first job in middle school. I'd go help her with, she had like five-year-olds that she would teach, you know, one of her classes was young sure. kids and I'd go help assist her. 
So it was just always something I was exposed to, and I was exposed to really great art materials and um, different ways of looking. And then I was super introverted and sensitive, so I was always making stuff. I'm an only child, so I'd be on my own a lot. Um, And I was just always making things was I think what made me feel comfortable and helped me process the world. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this the other day with my kids. Like they have, you know, that you get like these toys for like groceries and you buy all the fake food and then you buy the cash register and they play grocery. But like I made all that when I was little and it's not, I'm sure if I'd asked for it, my parents would have bought it for me, but it was never even a Mm -hmm. thought. I was just Mm -hmm. like, I want to play cashier. So I'm going to get a shoe box and make, you know, the, the cash register. And then I would even make like the credit card slide, you know, like I'd make all (laughs) the parts and then I'd make the food. So I'd make it out of colored construction paper and I'd like spend hours. And like my playtime was a lot of making time. Like I Mm -hmm. would play with the things, but I think the process of making it was almost more the Mm playtime than the actual using it afterward was. Mm. No, definitely. I mean, that's a, I think that's something that I hear from a number of makers that I really respect that uh, I would put in the maker category because, you know, sometimes you meet people who are just like, oh, they're a designer that's that. And like once they're outside of that space, like it doesn't really impact the rest of their life, which is fine. But when there's somebody who is kind of a maker across the board, I I hear that kind of story a lot. And I think about it like uh, like I've got I've got friends who like just love building stuff with Legos and then leaving it. Mm-hmm. And just staring at it, like years. Oh, it's there. Yeah. You know? And it's like, like I made that. And the play is not yeah. like with the object afterwards. It's actually with yeah, the it's interesting. building. Yeah, I think about so I was that kid that would make things and then display them. You know, I would play, but you know, there was always something that you said about the the making was the playing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, like the the handheld making plus the imaginativity, like I was imagining the play or the scene or mm-hmm. the act, the scenario was happening in, in the process of the coming to be of the thing. So by the time I made it, it was complete because I'd been imagining it while making it and just kind of like lost in that in-between space. Yeah. And so a lot of times, yeah, like I'd make things and then you're, you know, sometimes I would play with them for sure, but, but I had a propensity to like set things up and then just be like, stare at it, which mm-hmm. is kind of like, I never changed. I like make a painting <laughs> and I stare at it for like a, a year. Yeah. You know, it's weird. It's, a, it's, there's still things I don't understand about it. Like I really don't fully understand like what that is. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I'm also laughing because, you know, like I, um, I think it was, well, it would have been about five years ago. I made, we didn't ha- like my mom had just sent me some, some of my old star Wars toys and I was telling the kids, like, gosh, I want the Millennium Falcon still, like, even from when I was a kid. So I was like, you know what? Like, we're going to play, so we're going to make, you know. And I made this big cardboard Millennium Falcon. Yeah. It was, it was crappy, but it was a good crappy. Like, yeah. it was a little weird to me. <laughs> it and was I made, satisfying. It was satisfying. Maybe. It yeah. scratched the itch. And, like, I made the spaceships. And we are, like, cooking, flying through the house, like, me and the kids. And then we got one. And it was weird. Like we didn't play with it as much as we played with the cardboard one. Yeah. And I'm like, what is that? You know, like what is the difference between, you know, the completed thing and the, 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 uh, the made thing, the thing that clearly has some clunk to it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like the participatory action of making, I think is, is, is always speaking for myself is always more um, enjoyable than, than playing with it. 
um, in a lot of ways or experience it in whatever way. And I see this in my oldest daughter as well. She, um, there are times where I, we will have something and we will put it in the recycling and I know that that thing is enticing and I have to be like, Hey, this is not the week for you to take stuff out of the recycling and make stuff out of it. Okay. Like it's all yeah. good, but I know that this thing, like, cause it's enticing to me. So <laughs> I'm throwing it away. Yeah. So hard. it needs to go away. Um, because she just is the same way. She wants to take stuff. She wants to make things out. She wants to assemble the world around her. Um, because she loves doing that. And then she also is somebody who loves giving to people. So she will make a lot of stuff constantly and be like, I made you something. I made you something. I made you something. Yeah. And, uh, which was debilitating, uh, because she was the first child. So it was like, you wanted to keep everything. And Mm -hmm. then you're like, uh, I don't have an entire room for this. Yeah. 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 But the, uh, yeah, the participatory part of making, like it feels, you know, we've talked in the last couple episodes about things that feel kind of like consistent, common threads with humans. But I think that that, yeah, participatory, taking the world around you and making things out of it feels like something that's kind of like intrinsically deep in there because mm-hmm. we don't we don't I don't know that we fully really understand it while we're doing it. Like like you're saying, like, why do I enjoy that so much? Like, what is it about that we spend yeah. our whole lives making? Yeah. But never well, really understand why it's so such a draw. Yeah. It's so interesting because you were talking about like the imagination part of it, like as you're making it, you're imagining playing with it. And I've. I was talking to some of my students recently about like they've done all these studies that when you intensely like envision something, your brain doesn't know the difference between like you having actually done it. Oh, wow. And it just being an image in your head. Like that's why the world class athletes like what Michael mm-hmm. Phelps, he would like envision swimming mm-hmm. the race over and over. And it was training like yep. his body couldn't tell the difference yeah. at the end of the day. And so I wonder if there's something to that because I would do the same thing. Like I would make things for hours and make all these dolls and then I just set them down and I'd be done. Yeah. And I'd be like, I, yep. I don't know why it's just, you know, it's like it was done and I had done it and I thought all about it yeah. and thought about how I could play with it. It's the same it's thing. Same, yeah. yeah. As, as if it were happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was like consistent. I mean, I made mm-hmm. stuff out of constantly out of toilet rolls. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. Like, it's like whatever. Was they're around. amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they're yeah. like the perfect size to mm-hmm. do so many things. And then they're never ending. They're always there. Yeah. It's yeah. It's always been, just <laughs> give it time. They'll be there. Yeah. Um, they're still there now. Um, <laughs> 20 some years later. The, uh, so did you ever did you ever find then in the in the environment you were in, Lindsay? Did you ever find that was there ever a pressure? Like, did you ever feel like you were you were bound to be an artist? Did did you ever feel like you could? Did, did you ever feel like you had the choice to not be an artist? Well, so here's the thing. I think uh, I feel bad for saying it, but I think it's just something a lot of kids go through. Like my whole life, I was like, I'm not going to be my mom. Like, I'm yeah. not going to be an artist, and I'm not going to be an art teacher. Like, I'm going to find my own path. You know, so when I was eight, I was going to be a rock star mm-hmm. for sure. But I was like way too shy. So that was not in in the cards for me. But um, as I got older, you know, I experimented with a lot of things. Um, and I actually I, when I went to high school, I went to like a science and technology high school. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, you know, it got I think through school more than through my parents who were always really open and supporting supportive of everything. I think it it got ingrained in me somehow that I had to go into science. So when I went to undergrad, I was a chemistry major and I was a terrible student. Like I got to college and I was like, you don't have to go to class. Oh, that was me. This is awesome. Yeah. And so, um, 
yeah, I took a full load and needless to say, did not do well in my science and math classes because I just didn't ever want to go. So like no one was making me go. So I didn't go. And the only classes I went to were my two electives. I I had an art elective and then I took Italian language because I had this dream of like going to Italy one day. Like um, my mom's really scared of flying. So we never flew anywhere when I was little. It was like road trips within like a three or four hour, you know, (laughs) radius of our house. And so I had this dream of like flying somewhere exotic. And for some reason, Italy was the most. So I was like, I'm going to take Italian and I'm going to go to Italy one day. And so those were the only classes I went to. And I I feel like I kind of fought it and Mm. no one made me fight it. I just somehow I fought it like I, I didn't. I had trouble envisioning how I could make it happen for myself um, that wasn't the exact path I saw my mom on. And there was mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that path. I just didn't think I was interested in teaching kids art. Yeah. Um, but then, like, through all of that, I ended up, like, doing some TAing. And I realized, like, teaching college was totally different. It helped me kind of see a path forward where maybe I could, you know, go to art school and think about you know, working at that level, it seemed exciting to me. Yeah. And how did you make that shift to art, like studio practice in, in college? Like if you were majoring in the sciences, how did, how did that, how did that? Well, that didn't go very well because after my first semester of like failing all the science classes, my my advisor was like, I failed my first year of college completely (laughs) as a 0.67. And oh, I, was, I had like yeah. a 1.7 or something because yeah, yeah, the failed. art classes saved me, really. Yeah. And so, yeah, my advisor was like, mm, <laughs> is this really what you want to do? And so I was like, you know, I'm just going to take a year or two and take whatever I want. And it was all art, art history, um, language. I took some religion classes. So we were just trying to find myself. And mm-hmm. then like junior year, I was like, I have to declare a major and and so I just I ended up double majoring in art and Italian and I minored in art history and I had no plan like I I finished school and I had nothing and it was a weird segue like so I was in with my Italian advisor one day and the whole way I got through Italian it all related to art so my thesis for Italian was about like artistic representations of Dante's Inferno like it was it was all Mm. visual and my thesis advisor was like, do you have plans next year? And I was like, I have no clue what I'm going to do. And she was like, one of our grad students just dropped out of the program and they were using their Italian grad students to like teach 101 through 202. And so they needed someone. And she was like, you know, we cover your tuition. We pay you a stipend. Do you want to stay, do the grad program for a year? It was a two-year program. She was like, if at the end of the year you don't want to continue, just give us notice and we'll find someone else. But if you want to go all the way through, you can. So I kind of got in the back door. I missed the application deadline. They they brought me in. So I ended up doing um, grad school for Italian. It was like a huge segue. And I did like my master's thesis in that. And um, it was all artistic representations of Dante's Inferno. And I got a grant to go to Italy and I was looking at art and I was like, you know, maybe I could do art history, you know, like you're just trying to figure it out. Wow. And I don't know why I was fighting it. And then after grad school, I got an internship at the Peggy Guggenheim collection in Venice. Yeah. And I went there for like three months and I worked and the whole time I was like loving being surrounded by the art, but the whole time I was like, I want to be making it. I don't want to, mm. like, it just became so clear to me wow. while I was there. I'd like, tried to fight it and I don't know it was like an internal thing I don't know why yeah 
And I was like, this is it. I have to go to grad school. I have to go back, get my portfolio together, get mm-hmm. my work together and just apply. So that's what I did. So then you just, in, in, and how do you make, how do you make a visual choice in light of the work you're looking at? Like, how does that, like, what kind of work are you making then to, to, oh. to apply? You know what I'm saying? I mean, because yeah. you're looking at like renaissance work you're looking I at- was a figurative painter for okay, sure yeah. and I was like an observational figurative painter um but I've been thinking about this recently I think with the show and looking back over work um over a period of time um I always had conceptual interests like strict observation for me felt like a chore like mm-hmm. I enjoyed it but it there was always something extra. And I think um, for me, like I was doing figurative painting, but then I got really interested in like time Mm -hmm. and how the figure relates to time. And so I was painting these like derivative now that I look back, but at the time it felt like, oh, look at this thing I'm doing. Um, But I was like blurring the figure and thinking about the motion over time. And then I was... um, I was doing what I thought were almost like film stills. I mean, heavily influenced by Cindy Sherman and other Mm -hmm. people, but I was painting, like there was this one series where it was my mom in front of a curtain and then she like passes behind the curtain and her shadow. So like each painting is like a freeze frame of this motion and then her hand trails along the curtain. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was always something else there Mm -hmm. and I just didn't know how to get at it. My training was really formal and representational and I felt like that was where I had to be I mean it's kind of it's weird like you look back and you see how you fight yourself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so I think there was always like this other work that wanted to come out but I it took me a long time to figure out how to get to it interesting interesting so you're making like so so you get into grad school with kind of figurative work yeah um and then how does that how does that situate you because you get to it you get to a place where your, I mean, your work is. I mean, I have a, maybe not the same path, but I, I did. There was a point where I was told, like, you use the figure as a crutch. Yeah, and yeah. And so I was like, okay, <laughs> I got to kick the crutch out. Uh-huh. And and I, the, you know, it's funny. Like, so like I, it's weird. Like I have for the first time in like twenty years, have thought about figure painting. Mm. Just super weird, and I don't mean like in the. I mean, like really vaguely figure painting. Like somewhere in there, I'm like, I kind of want to do that, and I don't know why. Yeah, which is really weird. But but, you know, because it was a crush that I and it was it was like a I didn't know enough. And I and I had, you know, leanings towards something else that wanted to come out. And I just needed to go ahead and take the plunge. And once I did, it clicked, you know. Yeah. It work, once my work was freed up from the formal training and um, but yeah. So how did that happen for you? Well, so I went to grad school and I realized how derivative some of my ideas were. I was just like being naive and being green and like mm-hmm. not having seen a lot of the things that like someone was like, do you look at Francis Bacon? And I was like, yeah. like, oh, yeah. my gosh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, this has been done. I mean, everything's been done. But at the time, sure. I remember that was this moment where I was mm-hmm. like. I don't know enough. Like I need Mm -hmm. to absorb more and really understand what I'm doing instead of just coming at it blind. Um, Because I had been surrounded by art, but it was a lot of, I was, you know, looking at Michelangelo. Like I was looking at, like my references were just crazy. Um, Not crazy, but just they were of a singular mind and I really needed to explore modern contemporary art and understand it better to see where I was. Um, And so I was still doing figurative paintings because I was really, I think, and I think I could make people, 
like paintings look like people. And so you get positive attention mm-hmm. for that. And I think when I was young, that was really a like, oh, but they said it was good. So I can't let go of this right now. Um, but I started doing things like I'd have a figure and I'd like try to kind of cut it up. And then I, I got really into like I'd make all these dots on the painting I have this thing about time and mm-hmm. it's really like runs throughout my work, but like these dots would become about the passage of time. And, mm-hmm. and, um, so like the language is, was all confused, but it was all there. And so that's what I was doing in grad school. And then I got out of grad school. I, I was really, I don't know why this was devastating to me. I put my paintings up for like our thesis show mm-hmm. and people would be like, Oh, that's, the painting of Elisa and that's like that's the painting of her grandmother and like to me they were about so much more there was like concept and ideas about mm-hmm. like time and and all these different space things like formally I was interested in doing and I don't know why it was such a bummer to me at the time like I felt like people weren't getting past the yeah. identity yep. of mm-hmm. the the person I was painting and so I was like, I'm, I'm done with the figure. I need to figure something mm-hmm. else out. So I started doing like urban landscape after grad school. And I got really into this idea, like I'm interested in viewer experience. And I, I wanted to get at that like in a more interesting way. And so I started doing these small like six by nine panel paintings of like one of them was like of a nighttime ride in a train. And so they were like kind of like, snapshots almost of like different views at a train window with like the light and the color changing as like you come into a town and the colors would change and I would I'd go on these drives or go on these train rides and just like take tons of reference photos and then go in my studio and work and so then I'd hang them in this huge grid I mean it might be like 50 some paintings long and like four paintings deep and the idea was like on the wall the viewer you'd have to walk up close to see the details in the paintings Mm -hmm. and then the idea is they'd have to like walk along the whole wall to get a sense of the whole Mm -hmm. piece so I like the idea of like trying to manipulate how the viewer like comes in and views the piece like they Mm -hmm. can't view it all at once um so I'd say that was my first kind of I'm thinking more formally about what I want to do and Mm -hmm. being more intentional about it um and then I had this my daughter was born in 2014 and I just felt like for me, like I just started seeing the world differently Mm -hmm. and like the feelings and what I wanted to get at. It just wasn't, I felt like that, um, more representational language wasn't getting at what I wanted to get at anymore. So I had this idea, like, instead of having these layers of time that you walk along, like if I could make them all move back spatially in the canvas, and so bring these layers all together in one piece mm-hmm. and talk about like memory and time that way. And that's actually where some of the, the earliest work in this show is from that series where things are kind of like, um, they almost look like digitized interference yeah. and they're moving back spatially. And I think that's really where things started to solidify for me. Wow. So that's interesting. And, and that had something to do with that after the birth of your, your first. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Game changer. Kids yeah. are a game changer. And it, it, I mean, for yeah. me, for us all of for us in a wonderful way, but yeah, it's, 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 uh, remarkable how much that can change you. Yeah. Yeah. In the way you see things, the way mm-hmm. you're grounded. I want to talk about time. Yeah. 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 What's up with time? <laughs> I, well, I've been thinking <laughs> about that too. Yeah. Cause I, so I, I, I had a, um, I, my thesis show was called in time and out of in time, out of time. No way. Um, so like that was a whole full, full thing for me, like a, 
extreme like time has always been an like one of those things for me too so I'm well i like want to know what it is for you now yeah, too well, i feel yeah. like we have what lots you- of overlaps um so yeah i mean this show has been awesome because it's really made me like think way deep back and um i realized like ever since i was a little kid i've had a huge thing with time um the first time I remember it, like really concretely, I was in second grade and I went to bed at night and there was a clock by my bed and it was like, you know, a digital clock. So like the readout and all of a sudden I just like, I couldn't really sleep and I rolled over and I looked at the clock and I was like, it'll never be like 10, 23 on, you know, September 18th, whatever the year was again. Mm-hmm. And it's like my mind exploded. And then I was like laying there for a while and I, it was like felt really profound to me. (laughs) And then I couldn't sleep and I like trying to go to sleep and then I roll over and I'm like, it'll never be 1145 on, you know, and like the whole night passed that way. Like I just kept rolling over and looking at the clock and it, and so then needless to say, I developed extreme insomnia when I was little. I just like, it like just became this thing. I'd stare at the clock at night and I think everything was quiet and Mm -hmm. I like, there was nothing else for me to obsess over. And, Mm -hmm. and then the other thing I think that was kind of profound for me in relation to time was like, I was a really sickly kid. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I know now as an adult that it was at least in part like a huge intolerance to gluten, mm-hmm. but all through my childhood, it was like in and out of doctors and we couldn't figure out what was wrong. And I was just sick a lot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes like I'd just be laying in bed like in pain and it sounds dramatic, but at the time what would get me through is I'd be like, like this shall pass, you know, mm-hmm. like I'd have these thoughts about like, it hurts now, but in like an hour it's going to go away. Mm-hmm. And I know that. And it like somehow like time became this way to like take me out of my situation mm-hmm. and take me somewhere else, like into fantasy or whatever. It was like an escape. Mm-hmm. It became this really powerful tool. And I realized like I lived in my head a mm-hmm. lot. Um, and then like, I think recently it's become a way to like bring me back into the present. Like with my new work, it's become a thing about like, um, focusing on one thing mm-hmm. and like a mental focus, almost like a meditation, but it, it all relates, I think to time and like where my head goes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What is it for you? Oh, I don't know. Goodness. I'm just like trying to process being a kid and having, I'm thinking, yeah, like, um, so I had a, I guess my, where my brain went is, is unrelated, related, unrelated, related. My daughter, Ava, um, last year came outside and she had tears in her eyes and she's like, I haven't been able to sleep. Um, Uh. um, because I'm having a hard time understanding, like I exist. Whoa. You know, like she's like, I'm, I'm here and I'm not, not here. Why? How? Like, and she's like, what if I'm not, what if I'm not here? What if I wasn't here? You know? And, and it was like, she's having like an existential yeah. thing. Like, how do you sleep. answer? I'd be like, yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, big conversation. So it's <laughs> like, a big conversation. Now I'm not going to sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh my gosh, sweetheart. Like you've been, how long have you been thinking about this? And she's like a little while. And it just got to her. So she was laying in bed. So I'm just thinking about like how, how when we're young, we're not, we're not as, um, and people just dis- dismiss kids mm-hmm. and, yeah. and how serious uh, we are at processing when we're younger. So like mine's a little goofy, but I, I know that I thought <laughs> it kind of a rough home life, but I, I, I thought a lot about the whole Santa Claus thing. So like how, how there's only one night 
Oh yeah. And how, That's how is tough. it logically possible for someone? Cause I believed I was dedicated to the belief that Santa Claus was real for a certain amount of time, you know, six, seven, eight years old. But I would think a lot about how it is possible for one being to be all over the place. Like, how is this possible? Yeah. And that's part of the out of time part, you know, it's like yeah. thinking back and forth about that and wrestling with it, having like real angst about like, if this is real, how is it possible? Cause he's magic. Yeah. 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 But for some reason I couldn't, <laughs> but for some reason the magic Mickey wouldn't square with me. Like, yeah. and not like in a super smart way. It just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't not, not think about it. So like that, that was just back there. Like that started super early, like thinking about time in odd ways. Like, um, it's heavy stuff. And like, you don't have the vocabulary mm -hmm. when you're younger to like help parse through it. Like mm -hmm. it's this, the, these big ideas yep. that you don't even know how to articulate. Mm -hmm. And I think that makes it even harder. Like I would just lie there and I'd be like, I don't know why, but this is really like, it stopped me mm -hmm. and it was profound and it continued. Mm -hmm. And like, I couldn't even, I didn't even know how to ask someone about it. It just felt heavy. Yeah. 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 And then, and then the other thing would be like going out and, you know, for me it's a little bit different. Like I go out rough, rough home. So you go outside and I go off and kind of hide off somewhere and, you know, time would slow down. Yeah. So then you're like in, and sometimes you, you want time to speed up. Sometimes you don't. And so you're like your mental state as a person, as a young person, um, sometimes time would slow down and everything would seem too big for me. And I would just feel overwhelmed and kind of small and helpless. And so you're just processing like, what can I do to get time to speed up so that I'm not conscious of how vast everything is Yeah, and I can distract myself into things moving, moving faster. So, you know, like I always say, like, you know, when we're, when we're having a good time, time tends to go quickly for everybody. And then when we're, when we're not, you know, it's, it's like, uh, it's time goes slowly or typically miserable, Yeah, you know, and, and like, and I think even like having in the past struggle with depression, like that's why I would go to sleep. Cause you're trying to short circuit uh -huh. for me, at least the, yeah. the passing of time. Cause it's unbearable. I need to get back into that space where I'm not. And then there's a terrible paradox to that because if you're happy, your life's going to go fast. No, it's so true. And that all of that trips me up. And then I've been reading more about it and thinking more about it, but like that idea that, that like the future actually doesn't exist and the past doesn't like, it's a construct, like mm -hmm. really all that exists is the moment. Mm -hmm. Like when you're talking about tangible things, mm -hmm. right. Um, so like the future and past only exist in our mind. And then it's like our point of view, mm -hmm. which is always different from the other person's point of view that was in the room. And so it like all those things kind of sandwich on each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why some of like, like, someone said to me once, like when I was working on these paintings that were like layers of space going back, they were like, they're really intense. Like there's a lot going on. And I was like, but there's a lot in your head all the time. And yeah. it's like trying to bring that experience and make it visual. Mm -hmm. And I think like, like that's my, painting is my way of relating to the world. Like yeah. I can relate to other people, but like I'm most comfortable making something. I feel like it's my, like my truest representation of who I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'll make it weird. Can I make a conversation? No, yeah, do it. Weird. Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. So I think so. I'm just listening, and I'm like thinking, and you're like saying, you're saying painting. Uh, it's like painting comes out of you. Like it, it, you know, it's like what draws you out almost. Yeah. Right. So I think this is this is so dumb, but I'll say this. I'm just I, I always if 
you listen, I always go to like garden metaphors, but yeah, but guard, like when you look at the natural world, like you look at trees and flowers and I love sunflowers. Like I'm a complete child about sunflowers. Like they are, they are magical to me, but, um, everything, everything that is, you know, when it comes to like gardens, let's say, I'm going to make generalizations seems to be drawn out by something else. So, so what I'm saying is they, they don't, they don't sort of like, like when you get up in the morning and all your plants are leaning towards the sun, Mm -hmm. the sun's drawing them out Mm -hmm. and they can't like make the sun come down, but they can lean into the, they can lean into what the sun's offering. So they just kind of like lean in. Like I got a little tree that's growing between two trees and it's like literally doing this. Like I got to catch some rays. So it's like leaning. So, so there's like this, um, way that I think we are, uh, we're the kinds of beings that are drawn out. Yeah. So, so, but we're also individuated enough that different things draw us out differently. Mm-hmm. So like, like a flower garden in a way, like, and what gets drawn out appears different to some extent, but not, not to, to the difference or not to the, the point that there's no commonality, mm-hmm. you know, because I think we are, are drawn out kinds of beings. And so I guess when I think about time, um, if it is, if, so this is the, okay. So like, I wish I could draw a diagram, but like, it's kind of like, you know, the earth spins and I'm making like a hand motion. The earth is spinning and we're rising and falling. Mm. And, and so moment to say moment almost is insufficient to describe what's happening. If that makes like, so like when you're saying like, cause I kind of agree with like the idea that like, you know, we have what's going on in our heads. Mm-hmm. And, and there is distinction there because I'm not in Garrett's head or your head or vice versa, right? So that's why we have to draw things out of each other. So even this conversation is like something that we couldn't have predicted really. Yeah. Like I couldn't have known what we were going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. But here we are, right? So we've drawn each other into this occasion enough that we're having this conversation. I'm saying these things. And it's either palatable or not or agreeable or not or whatever, right? Or it's, it's, it resonates or it doesn't. And these are all the, the things we risk in being drawn out. But it seems to me that humans, so like when you're, when your child was born, you, you lean over the crib mm-hmm. and you draw them out. So you, you speak to them in like sweet words and sounds and that voice is cultivating their voice and they're drawn out and their bodies grow and they grow up into based on the way you're wooing them out, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so it seems like we're, we're supposed to do that. It's, it feels that way to me. And I, you know, I've thought about the time thing a lot and I've said things in the past, but I've, I've said like, if there was like a hell, (laughs) it would be the absence of time or it would be that, uh, the presence of time, uh, without anything to draw you out. So you would Uh, wither into yourself consciously mm -hmm. aware of the passing of time ever moving slower with Mm -hmm. no relief. Mm -hmm. So an indefinite state of inwardness with no light. Nothing to draw out. No sun. No. So you're the sunflower with no sun. What do you do? Hmm. You wither. And so I would say the opposite would be true. That there is something more that draws us into a fullness uh, that accords with our essence of what we are. So much so that we're so enthralled that we lose track of ourselves. Because we're so full and so outward bound, if you will, that we don't have to think about ourselves anymore. We're so together, if you will, like a, like a, like if you've ever been around an awesome painting or, or, or you, you've gotten a taste of this, 
you know, where you forget yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, we get glimpses of it and, and time doesn't matter anymore. Or like if you're, you know, we're all married. So you've had moments with your spouse where time just doesn't, you're, you're so drawn out of yourself. You're like, I don't, you're not, you're not even thinking about yourself. And then, then once you're out of that space and time, if you will, then you say, gosh, that was incredible. Like I can't even, you go back and you recollect because you couldn't consciously be two, two points at the same time. You can't both be like, like when you're really drawn out, you can't also be narrate, narrating yourself. You mean your like experience. drawn out, like into the present versus into the like present going in, into the past or that's the right. future. Yeah. yeah. You're drawn into the, but in, and what, and so this, so you're being, you know, this gets into like super weird implications, but like, like when you're drawn into, like if you stood before the grand Canyon, you can, you can be like in awe to the point that you can't think about yourself because in order to be in awe is to, is to, to be at a place where you're not thinking about yourself. Like, you well, you're just experiencing yeah, you're like just a like, raw sort of, yeah. 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 And, and so I think art does that. I think people do that. And I think there may be more to reality. And so it could be that, that, um, there's a, there's a, um, you know, gosh, like the laws of thermodynamics, like there could be a beginning and an end to reality, which means there's a past and a present, but we are not able to comprehend it because we're too finite and too, too situated Mm -hmm. to, so, so like we have to kind of exist in a kind of mutually dependent way. Mm -hmm. And so the things we cultivate uh, are not neutral. They either are working forward into drawing us out into something like sort of better for ourselves. Kind of like the big mural piece I keep thinking about. Like when I look at the big piece that you made for the show, it it has all these swirling effects and this like kind of um, forward and backness to it that we talked about. And then there's like rates of speed and all of those are like working on me and they're drawing me into the occasion, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, if I'm engaged, like time becomes irrelevant, you know, it's like, it's like taking time and suspending it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, anyhow, that was a big rant. No, but I think it's about experience. And Mm. like that for me is like, you know, I I think we had an earlier conversation about this, but like, I, I just can't, I'm not the kind of artist that could just like paint and keep my paintings in my basement and be like the act of making was enough. Mm -hmm. I think it is my way of relating to the world. So like the viewer experience or how I anticipate that could hopefully be is a huge motivating factor. Not because, um, gosh, because I need that participation to feel like an active participant in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I like, so I've made this thing, but it's part of a dialogue or in my mind, it's part of a dialogue. And then I need the viewer to activate it Mm -hmm. and have it be an interesting dialogue. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that grows and changes. Like, I think that's the idea with that piece. Like it was made for that space with the, I mean, it could be something else somewhere else too, but it just the idea of like having a dialogue that was meaningful in that moment Mm -hmm. felt really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think so. How does that, how does that like, um, well, shoot. When you build something like, so you made that big piece, like it, uh, the the big piece that we're talking about, and I'm forgetting the the name of the piece. Double Rainbow. Double Rainbow, yeah. that's right. We were like, la- okay, so derail. We were at a, uh, talking with some friends last night, and uh, me and my buddy, our mutual dear friend Michael, um, in 2010, were Double Rainbows for Halloween. 
awesome. So we had double rainbow. I, I knew that. That's why I yeah. did it. <laughs> so crazy. So, you know, with the double rainbow guy, and he's like, it's turning into a triple, the meme. So some people didn't know the meme. And mm. so somehow we got on this conversation because Miguel had sent the Donald Judd yeah, yeah. video. That's so, so good. Where, of the double oh rainbow guy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So we had just been, <laughs> you know, we had just been talking about all this. And then Laura and I are doing the pricing guide for your show. Yeah. And she goes, oh my gosh, did you see? There's a double rainbow piece. So we had this like double rainbow overload over the course of like an hour. Synchronicity. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super weird. Cause this is like from a long time ago. Yeah. And so I was like, gosh, it's in the air. Like, mm -hmm. and, and, and of course, then two seconds later, I'm like, what's the name of the title? Of well, it's like, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, so when you make something like when you make something for a space mm -hmm. or with the, the idea of a space in mind, and I'm curious how you think about that as distinct from when you're making and there isn't a space per se. Well, I think, you know, I get, I get all up in my head sometimes too. And I like, there's layers of thoughts, but like, so there's, there was the idea of seeing the space and being like, ah, oh, like it's so beautiful. And like, it would be a missed opportunity. Like the, the work that I had that I was going to bring for the show was all of a certain scale and it's fine. But like then to see that big wall in that big space, I was like, it would, it would be a shame mm -hmm. if I didn't try to mm -hmm. do something for that. Um, so there's that thought. And so like thinking about like kind of the scale, I mean, if I could have, I would have gone bigger, but I, within the constraints of what I had time to do. And, and then there's like, um, the, individual idea of like what the piece is with double rainbow. And so that for me had like layered meaning, but it felt important. Mm -hmm. It also felt simple. Like I, I feel like for me, like the best ideas are the simplest, like the most pure sort of, so there was the idea like, you know, rainbow symbolize so many things, but I like that piece is really about like unbridled sort of like love, mm -hmm. like what that means. And, um, sounds hokey but it's super true it's just who I am like mm. there was this moment we had this really rough move in the last year a lot of things with COVID were really hard on our family and um it was tough mm -hmm. it, we just had a bad year and um there was this moment after we moved and we were like out and we had like a house with a little bit of space which was our dream and like I was outside with our girls and they were like running around playing with neighbors and they just seemed so happy. And I was like, this is why we did it. Like mm. all this stuff. And there was a double rainbow, you well, know, in the cool. sky. And mm. I was like, I want to remember this, like someday mm. I want to make a piece about this. But then I think it's also like, it's the way that memories and feelings overlap. So I think like the feeling of being invited in, mm. God, this is so cheesy, but it's true. Like the feeling of being invited in, by you all and then just feeling like really supported mm -hmm. like from our initial conversation mm -hmm. it, it like it all taps into that same feeling of like this is why i do it this is why i create mm -hmm. this is why i did that move this mm -hmm. is why yeah like there's something fundamental there and i was like i just want to take that idea and make a piece about it yeah that's awesome that's super cool and yeah. the piece is incredible so yeah, it is, it is one that you that you know yeah i, I was thrilled and people should come see it. Yeah. I showed it to somebody last night <clears throat> that was at our house when I got home and they said, Oh, is this, is this for sale? I was like, Oh, I think if you got like an 11 foot by, you know, 12 foot wall, it probably for sure. Probably yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Or if you, yeah, if you, I mean, I guess if you want to buy it and then, 
decide to move it around a tiny bit maybe yeah i'm yeah, sure yeah. you hang it on the ceiling if yeah. you go across you can make a literal that rainbow across your yeah. amazing, yeah. <laughs> that's not a bad idea actually i mean i mean do we have to go deinstall that now and put it somewhere else yeah <laughs> on the ceiling looking up <laughs> hey i want to ask you about your um if it's okay i want to put you on the spot about like influences okay because i feel like you're i feel like okay so i just connect with seems to, some of us came up in a way where I think we love painting and we love painters and you have people that you're like, I just love, it's like part of what, why you paint. Yeah. It's, you're not such an, you're not so individualized that you, you're existing as though there's not other people that you admire. And I, I, you know, I used to feel embarrassed about that when I was younger, but now I'm like, I don't care. Like I, I love being a part of a dialogue Yeah, and I, and I have, I like the artists that I like. So what, what do you think about that? Is that ever felt like a pressure for you to, to 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 carve out so tightly your own niche that you're totally removed from your influences, or do you know what I'm uh, saying? Because we we talked a little bit yesterday about some of the people that you that we we both share a lot of the same. I feel like it's dumb how you can look at my work and just say like there's a bit of this artist in it and a bit of this, but like I also think it's um it's like who I am. Like I talk about those layers of space and the mm -hmm. layers of like thought and meaning. Like, I mean, there's actually some paintings where I've sampled, like I used to build my work digitally. I don't anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, just to get a concept sketch down and it, the, the first real abstractions I was making with those layers of space were incredibly complex. So I really mm -hmm. had to have a game plan going in. Um, I don't work that way so much now, but I could see it cycling back mm -hmm. um but i i actually used to take whatever artist or piece that i was like obsessing over in the moment and, like cut it out digitally and stick it in the middle of the painting because it was part of the dialogue and then there's part of like a fresco from like an italian mm -hmm. chapel in one of them mm -hmm. and like definitely like frank stella we were mm -hmm. talking about as a huge influence on me mm -hmm. i mean there's no way i'd be where i am if there was no frank stella yeah, like yeah. really impactful but there are a lot of artists and i feel like i very intentionally when I'm working on almost every single piece, there's at least one or two artists I can be like, I was thinking about them while I was making this piece. And so to me, it's really obvious. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like I'm just copying everyone else, but like putting it through my own filter. Yeah. Um, like all the, all the language is there. Mm -hmm. It's just like, even, um, like the wall is kind of, I, I feel like I shouldn't even say it cause it, it, it feels removed, but then not, I was thinking a lot about James Terrell, mm -hmm. um, and like the way he plays with light and color. Yep. Cause there's a lot of like the, there's the ra part of the reason for the double rainbow too, is there's like positive color swatches and then like almost like, um, reflective color swatches mm -hmm. where it's on the wall and it's like, a it's like a trace of the original color mm -hmm. and, but like getting those reflections and the light to move that way was just thinking about art in that way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did I answer your no, question? No, yeah, I think that's, okay. I mean, I think that's so, um, I jokingly, but in it, cause it sounds cringy, mm -hmm. have said to people, uh, in university, like, like, okay, so, you know, you'll get people that apply to school and mm -hmm. they'll say, we don't want fan art. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, we don't want pictures of like, you know, whatever fan art, it's, you know, whatever you call that. And I, and I've been like, you know what? Like, I kind of don't care. Like if someone wants to do that, do that. And then there's a part of me that's like, dude, all art is kind of fan art in a way. Yeah. You come up through, totally is. like, unless you live in a vacuum, like you're kind of like excited about James Terrell or it's like, yeah. you're, you're really making a classification that is really arbitrary mm -hmm. and not mindful of the fact that, 
Um, like the, you can be a fan of art history, but not like yeah. popular culture or yeah. something. So yeah, like Warhol should be obsolete in their right. art. I yeah, I had, a, I had a professor who would literally like, um, like dock your grade if the word influence was used in papers. Really? Uh, because it was it was just like to to look at influence was a backward sort mm. of thing mm. because you're you're forcing things upon people uh, that they didn't clearly state and it was a bunch of just just garbage um but it also just made me think a lot and even with this conversation like there, there's only a sliver of the art world and i can't think of anything else where this is the conversation right yeah. where we we have to almost like have a secret side conversation about like you know i really like this art yeah, 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 you know, like because yeah. even like within design talk. space, like it, it's like, oh, who's your favorite designers? You know, like it's it, and I guess some of that is like there's a, I don't know, maybe like we all came worship. out in a vacuum without yeah, any like I just formed also, this way. I grew up, and you were the same way, right? Posters of basketball players on the wall sure, in my room all day, yeah. you know, and it's like, and then what did you do? Well, you you went outside and you, you acted yeah. out what you were doing. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then we we ignore the fact that like when we all started whatever part of making we were in, that we weren't acting out those people that we liked. Yeah, and that's the that's that drawing on thing. And yeah. In addition to that, like to deny being influenced is to also deny then that you may influence for real. So yeah. you're yeah. kind of shortchanging like it doesn't. Part isn't of it great make. to just be inert in what we do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> just so you know, so never, weird. Never impact anybody and never be impacted. Wouldn't that just be a great existence? Yeah. But I think that's the part about like. Like when you talk about how you relate to that, like, so I am an art geek for sure. Like this is what I live and breathe and mm. it's what makes me excited. And it's what I spend most of my time looking about and thinking about and um, feeling inspired by. So how I could then make work and not have that be mm. a part of that. Mm. Pro- I mean, I, I hope that it's a part and not the whole, yep. Yeah, yeah. but I think also because of the way I work with like layers and memory and time, like whatever it is, like there's just these layers of meaning for me. And like, like some of it's real simple, like Mm -hmm. the double rainbow, but then some of it gets kind of deep and it gets geeky about being a maker and, Mm -hmm. and what, and I don't expect people who don't know about art to see that. But for me, it's certainly a part of what's exciting about doing it is that like internal dialogue. I actually, yeah, I mean, maybe it's a weird thing, but I've always like, there's, there's like one series in the past span of like five years. That's not present in this space now because, um, it's in another space in Texas, but, um, I called it conversations in paradise. And it was actually like me looking at other female painters that have influenced me Mm -hmm. and, um, like kind of like sampling ideas from them and then like putting my own own ideas there so it like became like a visual dialogue I take like uh, a shape like shapes of clouds from a Georgia O'Keeffe painting and then put my own mark and my own meaning and interpretation with it and like create like if I could have a dialogue with each Mm -hmm. of these artists what would we talk about what would we think about and that was just like I mean me excited in my studio by myself but feeling like I'm dialoguing with other people about things that are visual and exciting and my hope is that at the end, the painting by itself doesn't actively look like that other artist, but there's some trace of that mm-hmm. meaning there. Mm-hmm. And it's totally probably something I shouldn't, shouldn't talk about, whatever that <laughs> means, but, um, but it's there. And how yeah. can you deny it? Yeah, I think that's the thing is like why I wanted to ask the question is because I think we should talk about it. Yeah. Because I think it'll free people from um, unnecessary burdens of like, 
Like I just think there's there's like um, tropes and kind of hazing mm. that happens in grad school, you yeah. know, truisms and and do not do this. And it's like, and then you turn around and you see the person that told you don't do this and they're doing it. Yeah. And I went through that. Like people being professors being like, no, you can't use those colors. And then they're using those colors yeah. later. Or I left the school back home. And then two years later, two professors are painting in similar ways yeah. to like what I was doing. And I left, I got crap for it. And I'm like, <laughs> Hmm. And I was influenced by them too. So it's like, yeah, there's ego. There's ego in there somewhere. And or ownership. like you can't work from photographs. I hate it in yeah. undergrad when people tell students that. I mean, I get the premise of like you, you're acutely observing and photographs do something to space. And like sure. I get the whole dialogue. But to say it as a rule, carte yeah, a blanche, rule. is just a like, yeah, I was dumb. looking at that, like the my screen time show you had. I mean, she's looking at like images mm-hmm. from someone else on her cell phone yep. and like making it entirely her own. And like yeah. it, you can't. I don't know. It, it's such a ridiculous. It's ridiculous to put any rules on it. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, right? yeah. The, the art, they're so arbitrary. Yeah. I, I want to close by talking a little bit about the '80s. Okay. Patrick Swayze, shellac. Shellac. Patrick Swayze. Shellac. Patrick Swayze. And Phyllis Stiller. Phyllis Stiller. So, and Phyllis Stiller. And then like, because um, you, you you've made references on some Instagram posts <laughs> and you've talked about it about the '80s. Yeah. Sort of being bound up <laughs> bound up in some of the work that yeah. is in the show currently. So well, and it that? snuck up on me. Like, uh, it's not like I was like, I woke up one day and I'm like, I'm going to make work that's all about the 80s. I just, I realized that there's some sort of like color palette. Like it just, I didn't even think about it. And then I step back and look at the new paintings and I'm like, oh, I'm like stuck in this 80s loop. And then certainly some music um, mm-hmm. influences for sure. Flock of seagulls, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I I don't know. I mean, it's tough when you're in it sometimes to like see why you're doing what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think I've I've become more of the mindset that like you just are who you are and you have to just dive in 100%. We were talking yep. about like taste the other mm-hmm. day a little bit and like I, I'm okay that I have like quote unquote bad taste, mm-hmm. like whatever that means. Like I, I'm just okay with it. Like yeah. I'm who I am and yeah. it's fine. Yeah. Um, and I think that, I think I've gotten a little introspective, especially especially during COVID, I think it was just such a like rough time Mm. um, to go through and like such a weird time. Right. And then especially in the beginning when everyone's hunkering down and you just spend a lot of time at home. So you're in your head a lot anyway. And I started thinking about like, like how things like certain behaviors or thoughts I have like trace back to moments when I was a kid and like, not that I want to blame who I am on my childhood or anything um, for good or for bad, but it's seminal, right? So mm-hmm. like to trace some things back when I start really looking, it kind of goes to this time period. Yeah. And so I wonder if that's what it is. I mean, I like I said, it wasn't a conscious decision, but it just started happening. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I guess I'm here. So I'm in it. Well, it's interesting because I was thinking about it, you know, as a kid was around in the 80s. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, there's two there's two things I'm thinking. One is disco the 80s grunge like so grunge and disco <laughs> grunge in, is big too <laughs> grunge and disco book in the 80s yeah. do you know yeah. what i mean yeah. it's a weird thought super weird but um in hit the you know the hip-hop thing is a whole other thing but but um you know the 80s there was the cold war yeah and so there was this kind of weird macro perception as a kid 
you know, like there's like things I had to do, like or I was in California, so earthquake drills, mm. mm-hmm. listening to President Reagan speech, speak in class. So like there are several occasions where the teacher, I, I don't know what they were talking about at the time. I, I just remember that there were times where the TV would be turned on in class and you'd watch the president speak. Yeah. And you'd think about like, so one of the things I would go to go to sleep thinking about was, well, you know, somehow like no geologic, no geographic compass at all like no no way of really i just didn't have it and thinking like well you know if there's this cold if we're in a war it's a cold war whatever that means and there's like this enemy out there somewhere we must have a really big like wall around us or barrier like a bull a bull you know like you think the craziest things a little kid like Mm -hmm. how are we safe and i lay in bed and think about am i safe because i was always this looming thing and there's earthquake drills and like all these weird things that you have to do that let you know that you're not safe enough that you mm-hmm. don't need to not practice or be aware of these things. Yeah. And so like, there's this like outer thing. And then like, there's this, um, this kind of like weird, um, I don't want to call it like, there's like a weird honesty and a weird bombastic collision in, in pop culture. Mm-hmm. Like, so there's like hip hop music is like street reporting kind of really honest actually and then MTV culture is like hybridizing street culture and making it bombastic and mm-hmm. that's being amplified in like galleries like there's all these like things happening yeah and I feel like there's some interesting psychological overlap between that and now so like the kinship to me is that's why I was asking the question because I feel like it, that, yeah that makes sense like yeah it, totally it just feels like you know we we have we, we're dealing with like um there's it's a kind of a cold war in a way, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's all these, uh, geopolitical things going on. There's all this stuff going on mm-hmm. and you know, it just feels very particular right now. You know I, I mean? totally so, yeah. agree. So I can't, I don't have a fully formed thought on it, but this is kind of where well, I, what I thought about. Everything's just really heavy. Like I remember, like I remember as a kid, like they started talking about AIDS and they were like, mm-hmm. you know, especially like, right at the onset of it like they don't know how you get it and like there was a lot of Mm -hmm. just like i think fear culture Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that was i also think in the 80s like the like parenting was just different like we weren't shielded or protected at all right like there was no seat belt like Mm -hmm. you you are just like thrown into the world with your own defense mechanisms (laughs) and that's it and so I think that it, it all felt like really raw and real. And then like, yeah, I think you're right. Probably there's a lot of, there was just, I was so exposed to all of it mm-hmm. and like there were no, or if there were ratings, I don't think my parents read them, but I don't think there were ratings back. Like the yeah. things that I ratings saw. Were, yeah. Ratings were ra- way crazier. Like every movie has like nudity in it in like a yes. scary, se- super sexual And like way. sex yeah. and like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and like lots of gender stereotyping, which I think is like a big thing for me too. Like as a woman looking back on like the culture at that time and thinking about like what I ingested mm-hmm. and how it was trying to inform who I should be. Mm-hmm you know, from the outside, like during Reagan era politics and it's just like crazy. And so I think there's a lot of like coming, you know, coming at it from like, wow, like now, now that I'm older and I can process a little bit of it at Mm -hmm. least and try to understand and then like, look at how the culture now is trying to tell us who we should be and how we should treat each other. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it's heavy, like big stuff. Yeah. And the fear piece, like I, I, I have distinct, I was sharing this with someone else recently, but 
I have such distinct memories of when my parents would sleep with like their windows open and the door unlocked. And then, and it was like whatever it was, 86, 87, when the Night Stalker in Southern California was breaking into people's homes and like cannibalizing them. Mm. And I'd never seen my dad really scared before. And all of a sudden, the news was like, you need to start locking your windows because he's breaking in through windows. And I remember like going to bed and watching my parents lock the windows and check them obsessively. Yeah. And like it, like it marked a change. Like, so all the, there's the, there's like three, there's the myth of the person with the razor blade and the apple. Mm-hmm. So just when that happened, if it was real or not, I just remember that it was a thing. And then all of a sudden my parents became overly aware of like checking all their candy. Oh my God. Halloween yeah. In the 80s. My parents would cut all yep. my candy mm-hmm. before I could eat it. Yeah. And I had two bags, one for people we knew and one for people we didn't yes, know. Totally. So, yeah. so you go through and then, and then the other one was just a kid, a kid did die, hit his head, riding a bike and the debate about should kids have to wear helmets on, you know, ride skateboards and bikes all of a sudden. And it was like, boom, everything ended. Like, and I think if I were to write a story, I mean, it closed for me when I was 10. So this was been, this would have been 1985. One of the, maybe it was 86 even, um, is I was Paperboy, and we showed, they called this is for the star free press. And I'll never forget it. Like we showed up all the kids that rode bikes and we get to this big meeting and they, you, get your cash they pay you turn your tickets and you get paid and all of a sudden there's like teenage boys with cars and like older guys with cars and you're like looking all, all of us 10 year olds like looking and they make this announcement that you know um we're gonna be you're not gonna be able to be a paper boy if you have a bike and we're hiring people that only drive cars now it was it's like faster it was faster yeah. it was like the end of an era i remember like looking and just being so bummed because i had gotten this dream job and you only could get the job by somebody passing it to you mm. when, when the kid steps out. So it was given to me, I got it, you know, and I wanted it so bad. And it was like this whole end to an era, yeah, like this end to like the way things quote unquote used to be or whatever. But, um, yeah, I don't know. There's some, there's some weird parallels here, you know, just even with like the lockdowns, like there's just things that just, they're heightened. They're more extreme. Yes. There's, but the fear, you know, um, I like that idea, like the end of an era. So it's like this transition between like innocence and not innocence. And Mm -hmm. like, I think that's a lot of it too, right? Like September 11th did Mm -hmm. that. Right. I think at least, you know, from where I stood, it was like this idea of like, we were innocent in a way that we couldn't be innocent anymore. And, and for sure with what's going on now. And so for for people who are intensely like sensitive and introspective, it's a lot to process. Mm-hmm. And then you try to see where you go with that. And like, for me, I, I think I've gone a little lighter because like, I don't know that I, I can be too heavy about it right now, but it's yeah. all there. And I think that's a great way to end it. That's like kind of what I was getting at is like that bombastic release mm-hmm. in pop culture had something to do with how much was bearing down. And so it's like a, you know, when I look at your show, there's a lot of joy bound up in the expression that is not coming from a shallow, shallow place. I'm um, glad you see it that way. Cause yeah, yeah that's how it, mm-hmm. it's weird. But I think it's like, yeah, it's me trying to relate to what's happening and like trying to find a path through it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I think it, it's a dialogue because my hope then is like, it's a dialogue with a viewer who then maybe has like a, a joyous reaction to it, but like mm-hmm. a thoughtfully, yep. mm-hmm. It's like when, when we were talking about play and we talked about, but it's serious play. Like yeah, there's, absolutely. there's yeah. like something underscoring it. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 
And I think it is, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Like in a, in a really messed up, jacked up place, like one of the best experiences we can have, I think is to make, make roads through that for other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, the, uh, go into a, go into a gallery, go into a museum and experiencing those things is one of the ways that people, at least I know, um, do that a lot, you know, so even, uh, you know, the VMFA here in town, I have friends mm-hmm. who have said like, oh, during the last year and a half, it's been nice to just kind of go in there because everything's quiet and everything's mm-hmm. stationary. Yeah. And so you can kind of like be there yep. and have that breath out. And so the the response, the the bombastic response to the last year and a half, uh, like there's kind of a, there's a, there's a joyfulness, a hopefulness that we, we've seen in a lot of artists that you yeah. going back to last year with the, with the four horsemen show, mm-hmm. um, all of those artists were spending those first few months of lockdown making kind of bombastic, joyful work, which mm-hmm. was wonderful because I think the reaction we saw in the gallery uh, with the first Friday openings with a lot of these artists has been people coming in and just saying, thank you. Like, thank you for this being here because this is kind of what I needed. Yeah. Awesome. yeah. You know, the, the community, the, the beauty, the joy, the hopefulness, like uh, mm-hmm. it's nice to have that, Going back to what you said, Ryan, like even kind of that garden, that little like rest space where mm-hmm. like, oh, here's 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 actual life, you know, when it looks like the world's falling all around. But mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, it's a I think it's a wonderful thing. And the, the show's up through February. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got plenty of time to come and check it out. No excuse not to see it. Yeah. So, you know, hit us up. See it more uh, than one time. Yeah, definitely. Because uh, like like any good thing, uh, it will it will grow and even change over time. Yeah. And uh, you will you'll experience it differently the second, third, fourth and twelfth time. Yep. And Lindsay, where can people find you? Where can people find you? Yeah, how can they hunt you down? Show up? No, I'm just kidding. How can they, <laughs> no, how can where can they find like you know online? What's oh, your? Oh yeah, you so tell, you I have share? a website right. and it's www.lindsaymccullough.com, and I'm on Instagram at lindsaymccullough and I would love to connect. And I just want to say thank you because this show has been meaningful for me. You know, it's really given me a sense of community and belonging and like been a great way to generate some new work. So thank yeah, you. Thank you. So much. Thank you. Honored to have you. Yes, yeah. Honored to have you. Yeah. And all her information will be in the show notes. Yep. Uh, as always, uh, you can check her out and uh, let us know. We are we are happy to uh, uh, show you the space, show you the work and um, mm-hmm. yeah, hit us up. And as always, we love you. You're a fantastic audience and we will catch you next time. Bye bye. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.